0: We are live. Welcome, folks, to episode thirty-four, thirty-seven of the Survival Podcast. And if you're tracking the Bitcoin breakout episode number, episode 46. That's right, a Bitcoin breakout on a Monday. Just because I felt like talking about Bitcoin today. I've got a lot of stuff to cover today. Today is going to be almost information overload with the amount of material I'm going to cover, so I'm going to move rather fast. I'm going to tell you right now that if I get, like, Bitcoin sucks, Bitcoin's going to zero, blah, 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 in the comments, it's going to be completely ignored. You're wasting your energy, your breath, and your verbal calories, um, any of that kind of thing. And if I get questions about shit coins, I will completely ignore them because I have just a massive backlog of stuff to answer on this, so I don't have time to answer your bullshit with it's bullshit. Okay. So, that's going to be my answer for any of your questions on shitcoins. I don't shitcoin. It's bullshit. Anyway, all right, let's go on. What are we going to talk about today? We've got a ton to talk about. I'm going to do an update on the Bitcoin ETFs. And specifically because so many things that I said would happen have happened even faster than I could have ever expected them to happen. And we'll talk about what's coming next with the ETFs, more nations getting into the ETF game. Uh, derivatives of the ETFs themselves, not Bitcoin. We'll talk about why that doesn't make new Bitcoin or fake Bitcoin. Options do not create more of the underlying commodity than exist. If I have to explain that to you, you're probably not going to understand it anyway. Um, How There'll be ways to hedge Bitcoin now. There'll be basically Bitcoin hedge funds. Because now the hedge fund managers can use an ETF to make an ETF. I know that seems crazy, but that's how it works, and it's a natural progression. It's not something I'll be doing a lot with, but it's not necessarily bad. It's it's a good, but not for why you think. Um, we're going to talk about the inventory of Bitcoin on exchanges since 2020. It's, it's dropped massively. What I mean by inventory on exchanges is since all the major exchanges are out there, and we've over time figured out what addresses that they're using because it's no big secret, because every time somebody withdraws, they see the address that the Bitcoin comes from. We can tell about how much Bitcoin exists, like on Swan and Coinbase and all those places. And this isn't money being held as Bitcoin by people who hold on exchange. This is available Bitcoin. Like if you go to buy it, the exchanges have it and they can fill an order with it instantly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's going to be re- actually that includes uh, people holding Bitcoin on the exchanges. So it's, it, it's actually even more impressive. I don't know why I said that. And I got a, just a ton of questions that have come in. A few are about the ETFs. Most of them are more about Bitcoin in general. So we're going to hit all of that today. Before we do, let's go ahead and hear from our sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day, number one today, John Bush with Live Free Academy. Now, I knew about Bitcoin, and I bought Bitcoin long before I met John Bush. I would say long before I met him, long before I had John Bush on the show to talk about Bitcoin. But John Bush was the person that back in 2013 kind of really kicked me over the edge with it's not too late. That's the kind of information you can get from John. But John has tons of fantastic information. He does multiple online seminars every year. Many of them are free. You want to get on his email distribution list, and you can do that at Live Free Academy. There's a link in the video notes below, and there'll be one in the audio notes for people later on today. Definitely sign up for his stuff. Next up today is Start9 Sovereign Computing and Start9 Embassy Servers. Guys, you want to get a Start9 server if you don't have one already. It is a hell of an investment. You know, they're not stupid cheap or anything, but I have a great big discount for you MSB members on them. Uh, you can do so much with a Start9 Embassy server, and I know you might be like, I don't know how to run servers. You don't have to know how to run servers like some kind of network admin. Can you install, configure, and use apps on your phone? like to listen to music and to message your friends. If you can do that, you can run one of these servers. They come with great instructions, everything you need. It's mostly plug and play. It does not take a lot of effort. And you can take back your computing from the giant tech corporations. Cloud computing, there's no such thing. There's third-party servers. That's just a way of saying somebody else's computer. You can also run a Bitcoin node. You can run a Lightning node. You can do a ton of other stuff with Start9. Check them out today at start9.com. With that, you know, I wanted to move fast with that because I want to go headlong through uh this pretty fast because we just have so much to talk about today, so let's talk about what I said this month this month's almost over now, and what I said would happen in episodes thirty four twenty three and 34.28. 34.23 was the first Bitcoin breakout of the year. It was the first one we did in a long time. We focused heavily on ETFs. And 34.28 was an expert council show where there was a ton of questions coming in about ETFs and a ton of FUD being circulated that all of a sudden has magically disappeared. All the maxis that were shrieking and screaming, do sell your Bitcoin to BlackRock, like anybody was saying to do that, um, they all kind of shut up now because, well, they milked the attention horrorism for all it was worth. And now it's time to do something else to get paid attention to. It it, it really is that simple. Uh, And and, and funny enough, some of the biggest critics are now talking positively about the impact of ETFs on the Bitcoin price and the Bitcoin space, even though the price hasn't gone anywhere. But here's some things that I said would happen. I said price really won't go anywhere right away. Okay, I, I said that I said you'd see this kind of big run up to it and then the initial action is priced in, and then it would maybe come down a little bit, and then it just kind of goes sideways and do what it's always done. And that's what you should expect. Well, that's what happened. But again, let's talk about why. One reason is a lot of the Bitcoin did move, and we'll talk about this later in another bullet point, from Grayscale to other ETFs. That's So some of the movement is internal, and so it's just really shifting where the Bitcoin is being held. The other side of this is these companies, BlackRock et al., did not, okay? They did not come into this like, hey, give us your money and we'll buy some Bitcoin. They did pretty good projections. There was a lot of back-end, let's get ready to go type thing. Guys, how much are you going to buy on day one type thing? And BlackRock and all these other companies, they had a significant amount of Bitcoin already there as seed coin. So the orders that came in didn't necessarily result in purchasing right away. The other thing, though, is even though the assets under management are insane, it's kind of crazy, and we'll talk about that in a second, too. um, This is nothing yet. This was an important step. But it's the first step of many within this sector of exchange-traded funds. So here's what I mean by that. I'm going to bet that no one at your office, Karen from Human Resources, has not sent out a company-wide email yet that says, you know, our 401k provider has added a Bitcoin ETF to your 401k yet. That's not happened yet. Now, it's going to. It's going to. And when you hear more about what's going on today, you'll you'll see why. Um, but... But we haven't gotten there yet. You know, the fund managers that are managing um, pensions for the school teachers and the cops and all, they'll they will start adding this to the balance sheet, but they've barely just begun to do that. Uh, we only need them to throw one or two percent on industry average in to create a parabolic, never go back uh, surge in Bitcoin. But it's just not happening yet. This was the approval of a thing. And even though it's performed very, very impressively, it's just not enough yet. And I said that would be the case. And as we go on, you'll maybe hopefully understand more why. Um, I also said that ETF uh, Bitcoin providers would only be able to compete on two things, just two of them. And there was nothing else to compete on. And those were fees. And that was transparency. And since some of these are already doing discount to zero for the first 12 months or whatever, once you go to zero, you you, you really can't go lower on fees. So the fee thing, we kind of already ferreted out that there's going to be a very low fee market. And so then companies have to say, but it's us. But no one cares because it's a Bitcoin spot ETF. And you're basically required to hold an equivalent amount of assets under management in Bitcoin. So. Big deal. So there's only one other thing. And what was the other thing? Builder of Castle says, we'll pay you to buy our ETF. At some point, that may happen. You you know, sometimes like you buy a shitload of silver and they throw in a silver quarter or something, like some kind of thing, like some kind of sat additive or something uh, could happen in time because the fee, the long-term fee is the thing when you're managing billions and billions of dollars, someday trillions of dollars, right? Uh, But the only other thing really That they can compete on is, you guessed it, transparency. Since Bitcoin does have public addresses, and since those public addresses can be found on the blockchain anyway, and we can look and we can say, oh look, there's a hundred billion dollar address or a group of addresses that seem to be related to each other that cumulatively have a hundred billion dollars, there is no danger in that money being stolen through hacking. That is the whole point of Bitcoin. And you're probably in a multi-sig environment there, so it's even more secure than it already was. So that they would come out and say, hey, look, here's where our Bitcoin is. Well, that didn't take long. Bitwise becomes the first spot ETF provider to provide a wallet address. They'll all do it. They won't all do it tomorrow. But over time, as the competition heats up, and you got to understand, and this is something that we as Bitcoiners fail to understand because we've worked so hard to be able to fail to understand. And that is that other people don't think about Bitcoin the way that we do. Bitcoin is a long road for most people to fully understand the first 5%. And the 5% is how much you need to be all in on it forever. And then you continue to to go. So a lot of people know they passed their 5% back in 2017. They went through that hell. And they, they, they rode through that roller coaster ride. They came out on the other side and was like, gee, I'm glad I didn't get weak ass cabbage hands chance to sell. And now they've been through it again and they're going into another cycle. And they're like totally divorced from the person they were when they reached that five percent of education level. Right. And everything I'm going to show you in the video or that you'll hear about in the audio, I have links to in the show notes and the audio side that you can go check out for yourself if you want to do. But they don't don't think about it the way that you do yet. So they're going to have to learn that that's even a thing. TV has told them that it's something drug dealers use or some shit for so long. They have no idea how transparent the blockchain actually is. As they learn that, and you know who will educate them? The companies that go first with disclosing the information will say, hey, this is why we do this. And as this becomes a much more dominant asset class among normal people, if you want to put it that way, that education will begin for them. And they're going to start saying to BlackRock, et cetera, hey, do you really have all this Bitcoin? Because if you did, proving it would be as simple as publishing a few numbers. So that's already happened. That happened days after I said it would. Uh, There is some Spiricodamas gloat here a little bit as this continues. Next, I said, it. um, that well let's let's talk about something else before I go there. I was I was jumping ahead at a bullet point. I said that there would be big outflows from grayscale. And I don't think people understand a, a term that's been thrown around for years the grayscale discount. If you understand the grayscale discount, then you are not surprised at how much money is leaving grayscale because there was an intent upon people's minds when they bought Grayscale in the first place. If you could buy Grayscale, even though it was a trust, there was some other way for you to buy Bitcoin. This is, this is not the same. This is not the same as an ETF. That's why Grayscale wanted it to be an ETF. Because if it was the same, why would you? You're the only dog in the, in the race at that point. And so, Grayscale was what was called a closed-end fund. So, if you have an ETF and you have one bitcoin, it's worth $42,000, let's say. And you want $42,000 out of your account right now and you have BlackRock as your ETF holder. You put in an order sell, instantly there's $42,000 in your account and you have the cash. BlackRock, if they're not going to like have some float money to keep some inventory, if they needed a if they needed the 42 grand from somewhere else, simply goes on the open market and sells one Bitcoin and gives you your 42 grand. In theory, most of these ETFs should have a little bit of reserve Bitcoin to handle those floats for day-to-day transactions without always having to liquidate and buy. And their fund manager's main job is going to be buy the dip so that their Bitcoin that they sell to you actually costs them less than they sell it to you for. That's going to be one of the primary functions uh, that they have. Grayscale didn't work that way. Grayscale just went out and got a whole shitload of Bitcoin and made the fund, broke it up into shares, and then you trade the shares. But the Bitcoin never left Grayscale. It stayed inside Grayscale. It was held captive. So when you sold your Grayscale shares, you had to sell them to somebody that wanted to buy not Bitcoin, but Grayscale. This kept the price decoupled, and it made it cheaper to buy Bitcoin inside Grayscale than to buy Bitcoin outside Grayscale. And so the person that made that trade was fully aware of what they were doing. And they were basically stacking sats at a discount for that window on a bet that Grayscale would get converted to an ETF and all of the shares would come to park, which they did. So if you've made that bet going in, what are you going to do in a half you cash your chips in? Even the people that were like, well, you know, yeah, I made that bet, but if I sell it, I have to move it. And if it wasn't in some sort of tax-deferred or tax-exempt uh, uh, vehicle, I'm going to have to pay tax on it. So maybe I'll just leave it there. But when you look in Grayscale, like, I think like a point and a half, one and a half percent in fees, and you got other people running spot ETFs now that are a quarter point, well, if I can do it without tax consequences, I'm going to move it to the lower-cost fund because they can only compete on transparency and fees. So that's what happened. Now, why doesn't Grayscale say, shit, look at all these outflows, let's cut the price? Because Grayscale can do math, and if you do the math, this is how it works out. If you're Grayscale, and you lose 80% of the people that were holding Grayscale, you keep 20, and you stay at 1.5%, you're still ahead on your annual income on the fund. You will still make more money than cutting your fees, which will only stop the bleeding so much. And the lower you cut, the less effect on the bleeding that it will have. So that's why. So there is no mystery to this at all. Next, I said Bitcoin would eat silver's market cap in 2004. We're not there yet. That's a function of price times total units. If you were thinking about its market cap, as like if it was a stock, total outstanding shares times the value per share, that's your market cap. And Bitcoin will, I still say, will end 2024 Is either the second or third highest market cap commodity in the world. Um, Apple stock may stay above it. May. Silver will get its lunch eaten. Well, that isn't going to happen in a month, and I never said it would, but something interesting did happen. Bitcoin instantly tops silver in ETF market and trails only gold among commodities. So Bitcoin ETFs didn't exist in December. They were born in January. And in less than a month, they're already the number two market-capped commodity ETF in the world. It kind of just paints the picture of, yes, it's going to eat silver long-term. If it can do that in a month, and go back and look at the history of ETFs like SLV and see how long it took them to get up into the range that they are in today. It wasn't done in a couple of weeks. It wasn't done in a couple of weeks. Um, so, you know, that happened already. And we'll call that a partial on the prediction. It, it's not a, it's not what I said, but it's 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 telegraphing what I said is being reality. So next up. I said that long, I've said this forever, long term, I've been saying, for five years at least, the ETFs were inevitable. And there was no going back once it happens. Well, we're there now. Because the last time I talked to you about this, we were still waiting for approval. Now we have approval. Now we're in that place. And now you should be overjoyed that Jack was right, that when it happened, it wouldn't immediately create a to-the-moon event because now you still have time to buy your seat on the spaceship. It's up to you. You're not too late, and we'll come back to that. But I said that would happen, and I said it was inevitable. And, again, it had to be inevitable. I don't know that the SEC and the government as a whole has ever approved something that they so much didn't want to approve. I I don't know. I I would love to hear from anybody out there whose second place even is. It's just something the government didn't want to do, but they ended up doing it anyway. Because usually what happens is one side wants to do it like it's, it's a congressional like balance of power thing or a presidential balance of power thing. One side really wants to do something. The other side doesn't. And eventually the side that wants to do it gets enough power that if it's really worth the political capital, they push it through. That's usually how things happen that entities within government do not want to happen. But this was across the board. I mean, it's so much so that congressmen and senators have been made heroes for simply saying, I don't hate Bitcoin. Think about that. There's literally senators or congresspeople that you literally only know their name because they said Bitcoin one or two times without it being negative. Within the bureaucracy and within the banking class, nobody wanted this. And yet it happened anyway. And that shows you you're dealing with an unstoppable idea because at its heart, that's what Bitcoin is. It's an idea. It's an idea that converted into code and the code converted into energy in the form of miners and security. And now it is, it's here. It's an idea become real and nothing is more powerful than an idea. You can't destroy an idea. Once it's thought, spoken, heard and understood, you can't stop it. So what's going to come next? Well, More nations are going to get on board. Once the United States does something, other countries do it too. Now, there were a few countries that had some Bitcoin ETFs and even some shitcoin ETFs. But for all of China going to ban Bitcoin, Hong Kong SFC receives first bought Bitcoin ETF application. Again, I have links to all the articles. If you read the article, it seems highly probable that even in communist China, they're going to approve a Bitcoin ETF. That's because they want CBDCs. China already has a CBDC. They're not going to use Bitcoin for it because they already have one that they made and they're already using it on their citizens, and it's already tied to social credit scores. In fact, I think China would love to bring in a Bitcoin ETF because it lets them play in the ETF or, uh, Bitcoin ETF because it lets them play in the Bitcoin space without all that pesky problems with people owning and controlling their own Bitcoin, which by the way is still completely legal in China. What China did was crack down on mining, not Bitcoin ownership. So we're going to see more and more countries get in this game. And what I said today when I shared that on social media is I know some of you will say this is bad or whatever, but this is what Bitcoin globalization, this is what Bitcoin mass acceptance looks like. When something is seen by people as a commodity, which pretty much anything you can buy, sell, and trade is. I'm not talking about commodities law and legal definition and the economic definitions here. I'm saying the U.S. dollar is a commodity. It's a shitty one, but it's a commodity. You can sell and trade dollars, not just for goods, but for other currencies. It gets treated like, um, <laughs> it gets treated like a commodity in that there is a such thing as a dollar ETF, and there's a euro ETF, etc. So if you're going to have something this strong then it's inevitable that other nations begin to see it the same way. Now, if you think about what what this would mean, the United States of America and China are the two largest economies constantly vying to be in the top in the world. Once you have the ability for pensioners to invest their money in Bitcoin in the two largest economies in the world, what's next? I'll leave that one to you. There will be derivatives of the ETF, and no, this is not going to create fake Bitcoin. It, it's, this is not really being used by the attention whore uh, online Bitcoin maxi speak mouthpieces yet. It will be soon. There's a prediction for you from today. There is a host of other ETFs that are now in the pipeline for approval by the SEC that say, hey, Bitcoin is now an ETF. It's in an ETF. ETFs that are derivatives of other ETFs are as common as fleas on the back of a dog in Florida. So you can't say, no, Gary, here you go. Here's our application. Here's other funds we manage just like this. And this will create things like a Bitcoin futures ETF, which we already have, but it will be based on having one of these at the root. Now, why would you do that? One, it makes getting your approval faster. But two, it's instantly liquid with low trading fees. So you could pass on an upcharge on the fee to your customer. But another way this is going to work out is these companies like BlackRock and all, they want to market Bitcoin as this long-term pristine asset now. That's that's their, their pitch, at least for a while. Investors, again, remember what I said. You have to stop thinking about the average person or even the above average person here. The above average person, this is what I mean by this, there are a lot of people out there that you might think are idiots that are actually fucking brilliant, okay? The person that knows how to trade stocks, bonds, mutual funds, ETFs well and makes a living doing nothing but that, they're not stupid. And one of the ways that they're able to do that is through uh, hedging. So I'm going to put this little hedge in on this big bet so if the bet fails, the hedge kicks in. And I either mitigate or eliminate my loss. The cost of it is... The gain that I'm expecting will only have so much gain, and and I'll take away some of it. But I'd rather have a 99% bet that I'll either break even or make money than an 80% bet that I'll make money. That's how they think. When you create and you package ways to hedge, more money will flow into Bitcoin because the investor will be more comfortable putting their money into Bitcoin. So that's all coming, too. And the maxis are going to go nuts. They're going to tell you they're printing fake Bitcoin with either no understanding of what these derivatives are. right? Yes, that derivative can get completely wiped out. But the person holding that derivative should know they're not holding Bitcoin. It has nothing to do with the underlying commodity. A derivative of a commodity is an option on the commodity in the future to buy or to sell it. It is not expanding the commodity itself. There's only so much steel. So if you create a futures uh, option on steel, it doesn't make more steel. It doesn't pretend to make any more steel. But that's what they're going to say. You watch. Within another month, as these vehicles start to come out, that's going to be the new alarm bell they're going to sound. ETFs are okay, but now look what they did. Yeah, It won't hurt anything. There is not a commodity out there. It doesn't have this. So why would Bitcoin not have it? though? yeah, um, you will also see that the Bitcoin available on exchanges will continue to decrease in inventory. So you have more buyers, limited supply, and more and more of this money moves into long term holding situations. You have to think there are traders that will use ETFs. If I was a trader, I would never use an exchange again personally. Now, again, you have to understand what I said, if I was a trader. If I'm a trader, I'm not putting all my Bitcoin in the cold storage and then, oh, gee, I want to make a trade, move it all back to the exchange and make a trade. Or if I'm, you know, let's say even I have a stack of a million dollars worth of Bitcoin and I have 200,000 that I use as trading capital. I'm not going to put that 200,000 dollars in the cold storage. It's not what it's for. I know to you that's a lot of money, but to the kind of person we're talking about, it's not. They're going to leave it on the exchange so that it is immediate. So when the dip happens, they can buy because they'll be sitting in Tether or something like that. And when the spike happens, they can sell and they can keep doing it over and over again. So there will be traders that use ETFs. But the bulk of the money across time will be long-term pension fund investments. Institutional money that up until now could not access Bitcoin. When they buy, it doesn't matter that it's under BlackRock or Bitco or whatever. It doesn't matter. Or Van Eck or whoever. It doesn't matter. It means nothing. Because it's still not going anywhere. It's locked up. So on that, where are we at with that right now? Well, right now, this article is a mixture of fact and opinion says, Bitcoin bull run is likely sustainable. I agree, but that's an opinion. BTC balance on exchanges declines by over 1 million since 2020. That's a fact. I think it's very important, and I always try to teach this day to day, and whenever it comes up, I always point to it. When you read any article, I don't care who the source is. I don't care if it's your mama's best friend. There will always be a mix of opinion and fact, and it is important to divide that. The reason we know... That the Bitcoin balances on exchange are down by 1 million Bitcoin, which is 1 1 21st of all Bitcoin that will ever exist ever in history is gone from the exchanges. That means it's in cold storage or it's in one of these long term ETFs because, again, most of the money in the ETFs are long term. A million of 21 million is missing from the exchanges, but it's not gone. It doesn't disintegrate. Right, It's not Ethereum. You can't just burn it. So you're going to see that that quantity continue to dwindle. Now, what that means is, again, the exchanges hold some Bitcoin in reserve to provide liquidity. But most of that money is Joe, who got a Coinbase account because somebody like Jack told him to in 2012 or 2013. That just won't listen to Jack again and get their frickin' money off the exchange into cold storage sitting there. But the thing about that person is if it goes high enough, making the trade, yeah, I'll sell half of my Bitcoin is as easy as three clicks. It's three buttons clicked and it's done. That person has a high propensity to sell stressed high or low. That's money available to exchange. Yeah? If he has his money in cold storage, he has to transfer it, pay a fee, wait for the transfer to go through, and then sell the Bitcoin. Much lower propensity to trade. So the volume of Bitcoin on the exchange, that's your liquid Bitcoin. And there's still a ton of like iron-handed, diamond-handed HODLers that hold on exchange. I don't know why, but they do. The majority of Bitcoin is held on exchange right now. We've been working really hard for a long time to change that. But people feel comfortable having customer support, even though it's damn near non-existent uh, with most of the places people are holding their Bitcoin. Um, Next, um, mainstream media is going to start pushing Bitcoin. Now, up till now, Bitcoin has been, For the mainstream media, kind of this little weird niche thing to talk about, you know, Fox Business or CNBC or something like that will have somebody pretty on like Natalie Burnell and she'll do a great job. But they don't really care. They brought her on because she's pretty and she has a great personality. And some people are interested in Bitcoin. That's kind of where it's been. And I'm not I love Natalie. I'm not putting her down. Do not take that the wrong way. I'm talking about the people on the other end of that. Okay, and you know they'll have somebody on, and then they bring on somebody like Charlie Munger who says don't buy Bitcoin, and then he dies or whatever. They bring on uh, the the supreme boomer himself, Peter Schiff, to tell you why it's going to go to zero because Satoshi's going to come back and delete it or some stupid shit, right? You know you've you you've lost the plot when you go from Bitcoin's going to go to zero because the government's going to put it out of business to Satoshi. After 15 years, we'll come back and delete the code. And it requires either a true ignorance or a willful ignorance of how Bitcoin works to think that that could be done. Like you, you've you gone off to, well, it could go to zero because we could get, you know, gold. I, I, I would respond to Peter Schiff with that in a debate this way. Well, you know, one one day, Peter, what could happen? A giant asteroid full of gold could come into near Earth orbit where we can effectively mine it from space, and then your gold is worth dog shit. That's actually more likely than Satoshi's going to come back and delete Bitcoin. And that's not very likely. And I wouldn't use that as a legit, I would use it as a response. Um, But (laughs) who is pitching Bitcoin right now with the headline, Bitcoin ETFs are here to stay, why you should buy and hold long term? The Motley Fool. Now, I know a lot of you guys out there, you don't really read mainstream financial rags like Motley Fool. You don't really care what Fox Business says, and you shouldn't, to a degree. I think I, again, I source data, not just in Bitcoin, and everything that we cover from all the news sources, whether I like CNN, Fox, Russia Today, Times of India, Daily Mail out of UK, all of it. Because the only way you get the full picture It's to look out all the windows and figure out what you're actually seeing. But I'll tell you who listens to people like Motley Fool. People that grew up in their professional lives doing it and have done well for themselves. Those would be boomers. Boomers and older Gen Xers listen to sources like this. Now, Motley Fool has never been like really super anti-Bitcoin. But they've never been this. Not any headline I've ever seen over the years been this direct. You're sitting, this is, this just went in front of the eyes of millions of boomers with lots of money. Now, how many messages does it take in general to get a person to take action, even when it comes from a relatively trusted source? The answer we actually know because marketing is a science and the number is seven. It's the seven touch rule. Now, if you're in my audience and we've been, working together for a long time. I might come out today and recommend something you go out and buy one time. That is because we've had a lot more than seven touches though. So Motley Fool has some of that, but they don't, you know, I guarantee you nobody that's a subscriber to Motley Fool can tell you like the CEO of Motley Fool, like the names of his grandchildren and his dogs and where he lives. Like they don't know that. So we have a different level of relationship. They're going to have to get a lot closer to that seven-touch rule, but the people we're talking about, the boomers and older Xers that are sitting on large 401ks, IRAs, et cetera, they're subscribed to many of these publications. These are people that if you talk to them, you would think you're talking to traders, but they don't do a lot of trading. They occasionally move some money around, but basically they're long-term portfolio self-managers. They're going to get ramrodded. Over the next six months, and I'll tell you why. It's not because Motley Fool, Fox Business at all, is going to be like, you know what, shit. We missed we missed our opportunity to promote this before, so we should promote it now. Right? We should promote it. That's not it. No, it's going to be because somebody from BlackRock that's way up the chain, like somebody that has lunch once a week with Larry Fink, is going to phone up Motley Fool and say, hey. We need to up your coverage on the ETFs now, and if you don't, then maybe we don't sponsor your shit anymore. And if it's not BlackRock, then it's Van Eck, you know, or it's Franklin Templeton or whoever is. It's basically a, a private form of uh, regulatory capture. K Bonk says USA Today front page incoming. Yeah, don't don't look for that next week. Though I wouldn't be shocked. But I would be very shocked if there wasn't like a front, maybe not even front page, but front and center of the financial section on this, on those national papers by June. I'm not saying it'll happen. I'm saying the probability is incredibly high that that's going to happen. And Tommy says once all time high hits, that's probably the case. So we're looking at about $70,000 Bitcoin, and boy, will there be a hell of a story to tell at that point, Walter. $70,000 Bitcoin. Look at the market cap of that and see what it looks like. And Remember, we tend to, when we hit all-time highs in following circles, kind of blow right through them. And then we retract, and then we blow through them again, and then we retract, we correct, and we go to the next cycle. I don't think that's going away. Some people say it is, but I don't think that's going away. I just think that the highs will be higher and the lows will be lower. uh The lows will be higher as well in the cycle. So that's as far as the retraction percentiles, because there'll be so much more held long-term with people knowing what they're doing. Now there could be in the next cycle, a really big retraction from newbies. This is going to be more newbies than ever before in this cycle. There's always more newbies, but yet with that being the case, each cycle's retraction has been a little bit less than the previous ones, but also the upside has been a little bit less. So, Love we'll to see how that goes. Um, I also want to, I, I think I already covered this, but Grayscale, the reason, like I, I'm going to go into your questions. I have just a massive amount of questions that have come in in the last few weeks. Why is Grayscale holding the line on fees? And the simple answer is math. Again, I'll go quick because I think I said this already. If they lose 80% of their customers, they're still ahead on fees. So why would you cut your fees and lose money when you can not cut your fees and not lose money? That's why. Cuz they pro- because they've already done the math and they probably figured out something like we'll lose 40% but we'll still make more money. That's why. Then cutting our fees would do for us. Like they're looking at is a cannibalization point. Where do you cut your fees and most of the people would leave you anyway because they were there for the discount. Because people don't really sit around thinking that much about the fees they pay on their on their ETFs and funds and stuff. They just don't. When they're buying one from the beginning, like I've never had a fund before, and Karen and HR didn't make the deal with the guy at Edward Jones where we only have one option, and it's in a 401k. When they're using their IRA to do this or something and they look at it, they go, okay, well, they're all Bitcoin ETFs. Who Who do I most know the name of? Which, by the way, at this point would not be Grayscale because these are not Bitcoiners. And what are the fees? And then hopefully eventually this year we'll get to, and do they disclose their addresses? Well, Grayscale loses all of those right now anyway. So they're going to lose that anyway. The person that's already there doesn't sit around going, man, if I moved my money, I would pay less in fees. They think about it for about five minutes when they get their statement quarterly or annually. And then they forget about it because they're more worried about if they're going to make their tea time or whatever else. Um, I've also been asked what ETF would I buy if I needed to buy an ETF in an IRA, and who will win the ETF race. Those are the, I get those together all the time. So my my first answer is I would tell you I think who will win the race is BlackRock, and I think they'll win the race because they have so many intact network relationships within the financial sector where the type of phone call that I mentioned to monthly fool can happen and not so much to the monthly fools of the world, but to all the managers of pension funds all over the world. They can now say, Hey, Bill, you you need to do this, right? We take good care of you, Bill. You need to add our ETF. And if Bill is primarily built his portfolio on BlackRock, which is the largest asset manager in the world, Then Bill's probably going to stick with BlackRock. So BlackRock will probably win. Is that who I would go with? No, and it's not because I hate BlackRock, which I do, right? I think, I think most of these companies are kind of scum, honestly. But I would right now, I would go with Bitwise. And the reason I would go with Bitwise is because they're the ones that have come out and publicly, uh, published the addresses that they're holding on. And they also have a low fee. So I would, I would look for low fee and disclosure because that's the two things they have to compete on. So who's ever there first is who I'm most likely to go with. And that's why it was a very astute move by Bitwise to be first. And so far as I know, the only ones to do it so far, the problem is once you're vested into a fund like this, it's not highly probable that you'll move. So whoever goes first would seem to have an advantage, but you're also in a state where remember, they're not like us. They're not, like us, they're not like us. They don't know what you know. So the time lag between them doing this and people actually becoming aware of it, that are, the ETF market is pretty long, and that's plenty long enough for if BlackRock or anybody else starts to see VanEx starts to see outflows, oh, here's ours, which is why I think it will happen. So I don't know that they're going to be the long-term winner because of this or even number two. But I think it was a very, it was the only move you have when you're not one of the top two out of the gate, right? Is to say, Hey, look, here, here's our cheap fee. You don't even have to pay us anything for six months. It's zero. And then it's a quarter point. And here's our addresses. That, that's why I would go there. Cause that's the only combination that I have of that right now. That is not, Hey, you know, Bitwise is the, is the, is the one. If you said, well, I I bought BlackRock. Okay, you bought BlackRock. Your money's as safe as any other ETF. And that's two people who say, your money's not safe. They're going to take it and give it to Satan or whatever. Shut up. Your money in an ETF with BlackRock is just as safe as your money is in GLD or SLV, which I don't think BlackRock manages either of those. So I'm not even making a BlackRock comparison there. ETFs are what they are. They're one of the most regulated and controlled markets out there. And and you got to understand... I don't like the government, but the government does reasonable jobs at some of the things that they do. And what people seem to be implying right now, especially among my attention whore fellow Bitcoin maxis, is it's the SEC's responsibility to make sure that you don't lose money when you buy a BlackRock Bitcoin ETF. That's not the SEC's responsibility. The SEC's responsibility is to make sure that the giant prospectus that BlackRock sends you once a year that you're not going to read, Everything BlackRock says it does in that document that it actually does. That if it says it backs a share with a certain amount of Bitcoin, that it does. That it says that when you trade, you can get liquidity this way, then you do. Their job is not to protect you from losing money because you can buy Bitcoin and lose money. You can buy anything and lose money on it. If you buy it at the wrong time and sell it at the wrong time, their job is to make sure the Bitcoin is really there. That's it. And that the fund does what it says and does it says what it does. That's it. So that's it's I'm sorry, guys. That's 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 there is no other way around this. Um, Also, somebody did me a favor and I don't have their email pulled up, but I do have their shorthand pulled up. So can't give you credit by name. But a lot of people don't want that anyway. But last week I said that all ignoring my advice has done. For most of you, since I've been saying to stack Bitcoin since 2013 is prevent you from being a millionaire. And then I said, I think if you put ten dollars a week in, which I think anybody could do if they really wanted to. that I didn't know how much money you had. You probably wouldn't be a millionaire, but you'd probably be in some pretty good shape right now at just ten dollars a week since 2013. Somebody did the math for me and said, hey, you know, you're you're trying to find like what day of the week do they buy? And there's volatility weekly. But just an aggregate average. They actually did all the work for me. If you invested $10 a week since June of 2013 in Bitcoin, you'd be holding six point six zero three Bitcoin today. valued at about, I think, like two hundred seventy five thousand dollars was the number. Somebody want to do the math for me real quick. Find out what 6.603 Bitcoin is worth this second right now. Please do that. But, you know, I think it's 6.14 was the number that was floated not too long ago. That if you held at least 6.14 or 6.49 or something like that Bitcoin, that it was like generational wealth. I'm going to tell you there's very few people that will become relative to the total population of even the United States, let alone the world, whole coiners. Because technically, how many whole coiners could we have? If we went back to zero and everybody got one, up till now, about 20 million. Eventually, 21 million. So it can only be 21 million whole coiners in the world, and there never will be. There never will be, because I got more than one. How many? Don't you worry about that. But I got more than one. I ain't selling. Michael Saylor's got like 4,000 of them or some shit. He ain't selling. So that's not even doable. So really, we're in a position now where it's great that you could have done that, but you probably didn't. But there is no reason to believe that the same approach won't benefit you. It's just going to take a lot longer to benefit you this time than it would have if you started back then. And you're not going to catch up to the person that's been doing it for a long time. But it's it's still up to you. This starship hasn't left the Space dock yet? Do you want on it or not? Right? Eddie Carter says I am a multi-hole coiner and loving it. Yeah, and you can look to the future and you can see where it's going. And our friend Dark Horse is back again. I, I can't help you. BTC is intangible. There's no reason for us to listen to you anymore. There's no reason for you to be here. There's no reason for you to comment. There is no reason for any of this anymore because I don't know what your issue is. But I bet I do. You're young and you're angry that you didn't listen and now you're trying to justify it instead of figuring out how to harness it and do something for yourself with it. That's it. All right. So I had another question this week. What can I do to start taking Bitcoin in return for professional services? So all services are professional if you charge for them. So I don't know exactly what you mean by that word. And this person didn't seem like they were a high-end escort or something. So I don't think there was any jaded meaning behind it. And, you know, everything that you sell is either a service or a product. And there's no difference in answering the question for service than there is for product. The reality is there are a variety of things like BTC pay server and all that can let a person pay with Bitcoin and have an experience very similar to paying with a credit card. And you can do that if you want. I am going to put you in a timeout. I'm done. I'm done with beating dead horses, dude. Um, <laughs> bye bye for five minutes, and we'll see how we how you do when we get back. Um, it's just distracted. So here's the good news, though. Anybody who would pay you with Bitcoin is willing to do a little extra work to pay you. And professional services to me means that you have. An open dialogue with your customer. So this can be a little bit of a pain in the ass if, like me, you sell on a website where I don't really want to integrate something like that. I want my Bitcoin transactions to be separate and apart completely from all other transactions. So if you buy my membership program, you want to pay in Bitcoin, you fill out a form, I get an email, I send you an address and some instructions that explain the discount that you get that I don't even advertise for paying in Bitcoin. That's one way you can do it. If you have a direct relationship with somebody, All you have to do is ask all your clients, would you like to pay in Bitcoin? Don't be surprised when most of them tell you no, and I'll hold on that for later. If they say yes, give them a dress and take payment. Now you have to figure some things out. If you're running a real-world open business, you're on the top side of that flag versus the bottom side of that flag, gray market or white market, you have revenue that you have to report. Okay? So now you've taken Bitcoin and there's a tax obligation because it's revenue into your business. So you have to think about how that works. So some people will say, how about you pay me 75% Bitcoin, 25% cash, dollars, and that that dollar per portion goes set aside to pay the government, pay upgrade his, his his comeuppance, right? And I know some people are like, you're supposed to be an anarchist. You're supposed to tell people not to pay tax. I don't want people to go to federal prison. And when you're running an above board business, let me just say, you don't do that shit. Okay. You don't do that shit because you lose everything that you have. So that's one of the issues there. But you know, you're going to find that unless it's a really big payday, it's probably not an issue. You could just take the capital from somewhere else. The other way is lightning, which again, if you have a direct relationship is much faster, but if it's a big payment, it's really not necessary to use lightning, but all you need is a wallet and an address. If you're a exchange holder and I don't think you should be but if you hold on exchange you can literally give them a deposit address to your exchange account nope the money will go right there or you need to integrate a Bitcoin payment solution something again like BT pay server it's up to you you can totally just publish in it I mean there's there's WordPress plugins for that if you're using e-commerce I'll just say that you can look them up now That leads me to my next one, and this is less a question and more discussion that I see all the time. We have to spend Bitcoin so Bitcoin can succeed. It won't succeed if we don't spend it. Well, uh, Bitcoin is seldom spent, and it succeeded massively for 15 years without being highly spent. Now, there are people who make the argument that early on spending it made it successful. I will not argue that. I think that is debatable. But I will not argue it. Anything of valuable will be exchanged for value with other parties who want to exchange value. People spend Bitcoin all the time. But the percentage of Bitcoin that's spent is very low. And if you look at a lot of the supposed movement of Bitcoin as though we're spending, it's not spending, it's trading. They're selling Bitcoin for dollars and buying Bitcoin with dollars. That's the majority of movement of Bitcoin. today. Now, somebody, somebody on Twitter said to me. Let me see if I could find this here. Oh yeah, there it is. Um, you'll like this, guys. You'll like this because I'm doing you guys a disservice. Apparently, I said this is what I said. I said, "Can we stop this shit?" No, you don't need to spend Bitcoin for it to succeed. Every stat that goes into long-term storage reduces the amount in circulation available to trade, and this isn't hard unless you're soft brain. And and I I'll, I'll leave it at that because we're going to have this discussion anyway. And Jr. Twenty-two, twenty-two, whoever that is, said. You're saying that if you hire your neighbor, an electrician, and coincidentally also a Bitcoiner, and you will pay him with your cuck bucks? Come on. That's so obviously disrespectful. It's also very short-term thinking. Good luck wishing for your community to be ready for CBDCs. This person is soft brain. Here's my response, and then we'll go deeper into it. First, 99.5% of electricians won't take fucking Bitcoin. Please wake up from your bullshit. Second, if he wants Bitcoin, I'll pay him with something like Strike. He gets Bitcoin, and I have no tax bullshit or replacement fees to deal with. We'll get into that in a second. And, yes, I would spend every one of my so-called cuck bucks, which I just bet you use to pay for 90% or more of your life with. You live in fantasy land. So let's talk about that. First of all, yes, I will spend every single cuck buck, if you want to call it that, that I own before I'll spend one SAT, with the exception of some play money, right? I have play money in Bitcoin. I have play money in just about every form of money that I have. Money that is available to be spent and it's enlightening and it's for things like doing zaps on Noster. Right? That's I have that. And I'm I'm not afraid to to do that at all. I'll spend it. But when you talk about money that I have moved into some sort of hard wallet, cold storage, it is stacked, some of it's Bitcoin that I've been holding for eight, nine years. No, I'm not spending that. And what they say is, well, spend it and replace it. You're an idiot. If I'm even gonna take that approach, I'm gonna go buy it, spend it. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm not going to spend Bitcoin that has a massive tax obligation on it, because if I didn't know, and I didn't, so I've, I've, I've taken the steps over the last three or four years of newly acquired Bitcoin to manage each year by its own individual group of UTXOs or addresses, you know? But in the past, I didn't do that shit. I mean, for a long time before I started preaching, get your money off the exchange, I held most of my Bitcoin like so many people did on Coinbase. I had to learn like everybody else. I wasn't born into Bitcoin knowing everything about Bitcoin or knowing as much as I do now because I certainly don't know everything. So I held it on Coinbase, too, which means that it's all commingled. And so I would be forced if I'm going to be above board. And if I'm doing lots of transactions, I'm going to be because if you don't, they're going to get you. You have to pay your taxes. I'm sorry. I don't want to either, but you have to. And so then I'm going to say, well, I bought this Bitcoin for 600 bucks. And it's worth $40,000 today. And if you know, I spent a thousand bucks that way, I'm into it for like two, 300 bucks in taxes. I'm not going to do that. That's retarded. So if I was going to take this approach at all, I would go take a thousand dollars. I would buy Bitcoin and I would send it. You're right. I would send it to the person that wanted it. That's going to eat me in fees. Have you seen the fees lately? We'll talk about that in a minute. $1,000 transaction, not so bad. But I need a low-cost exchange with fast transaction withdrawal time to do that. Or, here's an idea, become a customer of Strike, Not Stripe, that's a merchant account provider I use for credit cards. Strike, Jack Mahler's company. Jack Mahler's company, I could just keep some money in there like a bank account. You would like Bitcoin. Fine. How much is this product? $49.99. Okay, $50. bucks. we will just round it up. Beep. Boom. I sent $50 in cash. You got $50 in Bitcoin on the other end. Done. I am, I am much more likely to do that than I am to ever buy it and sell it. Now, I used to teach that for people to learn how to use it and stuff. It wasn't some kind of virtue signaling crap. It wasn't we need it for it to succeed. I've always felt that people need to learn how to buy exchange, withdraw, and pay people in Bitcoin. And I think you should, but you don't need to run your life that way, right? You you don't need to run your life that way. That is bullshit. And I don't believe in losing money to make a point. I believe in earning. And when we're talking about Bitcoin, we're talking about the most valuable money you'll ever hold. I don't want any sacks leaking through your hands just to make a point. So sure, if you want to buy something from somebody for a hundred bucks and you've never done a Bitcoin transaction and you want to go buy, it'll end up being like 110 bucks worth of Bitcoin to get a hundred dollars in their hand or more right now. And you want to do that for the experience to be able to say, okay, I see how it works. Sure. Yeah. I'm not going to pay my car payment. Well, I don't have a car payment I paid for my car. full. Well, if I had a car payment, I'm not making it with Bitcoin. I'm not paying my car insurance payment with Bitcoin. I'm not going to make my mortgage payment with Bitcoin but I'll make my mortgage payment with my PayPal account because I can't pay my mortgage payment with a credit card. But I'll take the PayPal account and I'll link it to my Fold account and I'll put the money in my Fold account every month to pay my bills so that Fold gives me Bitcoin back on all my spend, which is not income because it's a rebate and I'll stack that, you know, that, that is how you make this work. And here's the other side of it. And I've said this before, so I don't want to go too deep into it. But this idea that I would spend my Bitcoin with you when you're selling me Fiat garbage is stupid. This is an iPhone. I also have a, a buff phone. It's out. of. I can't quite get to it. I use both of them right now. But this is an iPhone. They're very expensive. They're entirely too expensive. This is probably the last one I'll ever own. And it's like three years old. It's like a 10 or an 11. I, I don't know which one. And they're up to like fourteen or fifteen now, right? But they're like over a thousand bucks. Because I buy the one with the biggest hard drive and all of that stuff. But this is a fiat piece of technology. It's probably one of the best technological phones. No Dark Horse, you don't get to talk anymore about you don't get to you don't get to do that. You don't get to say strike is brilliant. When you're afraid of Bitcoin going to zero, I I, I can't listen to you anymore. But it's probably one of the better pieces of tech. Now, I think the galaxies have more advanced features, but overall, from functionality, it works really good. It's easy to understand. It's still fiat garbage. I'm not buying this with Bitcoin. And if you go, here's a fun experiment. Go look at Apple iPhones priced in Bitcoin since 2009. You'll find charts of it. How much Bitcoin it took to buy a phone. It takes less Bitcoin to buy the most advanced iPhone today than it took to buy the brick they originally had back in 2009. Why would I make that decision? Why would I choose to do such a thing? Why would I pay for a depreciating asset with an appreciating asset? How soft-brained do I have to be to do that? Why would I do such a thing? It doesn't make any sense. But Satoshi said that Bitcoin is supposed to be digital cash, and that's why we have Lightning, and that's for small transactions. And when we're actually earning in Bitcoin, then we'll spend in Bitcoin. When the tax code makes sense for Bitcoin, then we'll spend Bitcoin. That's generations out, I think. No, I will spend all the money that's burning through inflation as fast as I can and sweep all my reserve capital into long-term assets. Bitcoin, I'm not Michael Saylor. I'm not like everything, but Bitcoin is crap. And I guarantee you, Michael Saylor owns real estate and more than just the places he lives and hangs out. Right. So I I think there's a little bit of not quite genuineness there. But I think that overall, like he probably does have the most amount of his liquid wealth is probably in Bitcoin. And, And that's that's my approach to this, too. But no, when you want my Bitcoin, you have to give me something that's an appreciating asset and durable. I'm not even giving you my Bitcoin to buy a house, I'm not. Now, if I'm worth $10 million in Bitcoin and I wanna buy a house and I need a $100,000 down payment, I might, but then there's a tax consequence to that, right? Unless it's an ETF and it's sitting inside a tax deferred account, I'm old enough now to take distributions to buy my retirement account, a house. That's different, right? And we'll talk about loans here in a second, which would be another avenue. But no, because and why? I don't care how nice the house is. I don't care if you tell me real estate goes up in value. Real estate has a cost just to hold it. It's called property taxes and maintenance and houses are built like shit today. You want my Bitcoin for a house. We need to be talking about an earth ship or something. that's turnkey, not one I'm going to build for 13 years in the desert and die before I fi- finish the last tire. Right. You have to give me something of hard value. If you want me to give you something of hard value, especially when there is a generally accepted commodity currency of fiat bucks, Available for that type of transaction. Why do I spend dollars? Because most people pay me in them. Now. I would never do this because I would go broke. Because most of you wouldn't pay me in Bitcoin for what I do. And I do think what I do has value and lasting value. But I think it's just. It's a mindset. right? We're not there yet. But if somehow I were to say. Jack Spirgel only takes Bitcoin. And I could make as much money as I do in Bitcoin. Taking dollars. Well I would do it. I would do it. But. Then I would spend Bitcoin because I have to pay my mortgage. I have to pay the insurance on my car. I have to pay our health insurance. I have to buy food. Until then, I'm not doing it. I'm not buying your fiat food with hard money. I'll buy your fiat food with fiat money and everything being produced today, even really good quality stuff is fiat because it's in a fiat system. And so no matter how, this is the thing. No matter how well intentioned someone is building things today. They're still building and sourcing materials and labor inside a fiat system. So you don't have many things with sufficient value to make me part with my Bitcoin. If you would like Bitcoin, then take the money that I will give you and buy Bitcoin or give me an address. And and as long as it's within my spending limits, I'll pay you with strike and you can have anything you want on the other end of the transaction. I find this to be a completely reasonable, rational, logical way to approach Bitcoin. You know what it's not? It's not sexy. It's not exciting. It doesn't sizzle. It doesn't scream, I'm going to destroy the man, because you're not, right? And that's why the attention whores don't do it. That's why I give you this advice, because it's real advice. And why didn't I give you this advice five years ago? Strike didn't exist. What if you can't get a strike account? Have your spouse try to do it. It happens. It happens. And I have no one there I can contact. I have no inside man at Strike. I'm obviously not paid to promote them or anything. I think we need other services that work like Strike. I'm sure we'll have them. But, yeah, you want Bitcoin? I put dollars in. You get Bitcoin. Or, you know, there are a lot of services now you can buy Bitcoin inside of. The thing is, can you withdraw it? As long as you withdraw it, then you can, if that person uses Venmo or PayPal, I think both of those you can do that with now. I really don't know because I don't use them to buy Bitcoin. But if you can, then there would be no problem with a direct transfer of Venmo to Venmo, PayPal to PayPal, and then buying the Bitcoin that you wanted out of that transaction. I will tell you that most of the people that are asking this question, they're not asking it for the reason you think. You think they're asking it because they want more Bitcoin. But getting more Bitcoin is as easy as buying it. So if I have a client that's going to buy $5,000 worth of consulting for me, and I would like a thousand of it in Bitcoin. It's as simple as taking the money and buying the Bitcoin. They don't want to do that. They want some Bitcoin that's anonymous. It's kind of like mining, right? But not going through a pool that does KYC. That, that, that's why they're doing it. And it's a great way to get your hands on some Bitcoin. But it's mostly a conversation. And we are still so early in the game that the person that wants to pay you in Bitcoin will simply be like, hey, here's an address. And and you're done. Hunter says, does Venmo and Cash App talk to Strike? I do not believe so. I don't believe so at all. And there's limits to what you can do in Strike because Strike never wants to be an exchange. You can buy Bitcoin in Strike and you can withdraw it and you can send dollars and they can come out as dollars to other Strike members. You can send dollars to a Bitcoin address, either lightning or on chain. And you can do that. But you can't sell your Bitcoin back to Strike. Jack Maulers is very smart. He knows that Jamie Dimon is targeting them because they're actually they're so small right now. It's hard to see this. Strike is the biggest threat to the JP Morgans of the world, because what they're doing is revolutionizing payments because strikes real killer app is nothing to do with Bitcoin on the front end. It's the back end. Strikes killer app is allowing Bill to collect dollars from Tom and pay almost no fee by using lightning to move dollars. That's, that's the killer app there. And that's what Diamond is afraid of, even though his bank is now enabling the ETFs, because sooner or later you start to admit, you know, if you're not Peter Schiff, you start to admit you were wrong, right? Old man yells at Bitcoin again. It gets boring after a while, right? Um, next somebody sent me a really interesting email and I just think it's a good way to look at Bitcoin. I don't think it's a perfect analogy, but it actually is stronger than he made it. So with this very astute, Mathematically inclined person did was say, you know, if we compare Bitcoin to real estate, how much land is there in the world? Like all the world. Oh, that's an interesting thing. I never looked at it that way. But it's true, though. K-Bong says strike will let you DCA at $1 per hour, $12 a day. I mean, uh, $24 a day into Bitcoin at $1 an hour. That's an interesting little approach there, hitting all the volatility all day long with no no real fees because they're already holding the Bitcoin that you're buying it costs nothing to move it because it's all lightning. That's kind of cool. Anyway, um it, it, how much land is there in the world and I don't have the full email here. Actually I do but I'm not going to read it cuz we're already over an hour and I got a long way to go. Um but he figured out that if the, you you took all the land area on planet earth, every bit of it And I think he left Antarctica out. I I hope you did, because that's even going to make my point stronger here. It was like, you know, land where people actually exist um, is 2.7 miles of land square. So imagine owning a piece of land that if you walked around your property and it was a square, you'd walk 2.7 miles, 2.7 miles, third time and a fourth time to get back to your. That's a big piece of land. Right. That's a ranch. Even in South Texas, buddy, that is that is old school. You ain't buying that shit today. You ain't going to do it. That's some that's some ranch that has been in a family for seven, eight generations to be that big. Uh, and there's some that are bigger, by the way, like check out the King Ranch if you want to see how big a ranch can really be in Texas. But two point seven miles square land. And here's my response to that. But Bitcoin is Bitcoin. If I have if I have one Bitcoin and you have one Bitcoin, or if I have one Bitcoin and K Bonk has one Bitcoin, guess what? We have the same amount of Bitcoin, we have the exact same amount of value. They will both trade for the same amount of dollars or yen or buy the same amount of stuff. If you have a two point square seven square mile block of land in West Texas, and I have a two point seven square mile block of land in South Florida, this is worth more. So Bitcoin's a pristine asset. You would at least have to say the land in temperate, comfortable regions where people desire to live and own property. And that, that amount of land would get a lot bigger. And I think that starts to put in your head what the eventual value of this asset could be. I think it's a really great uh, mental exercise. So thank you for the gentleman that sent me that. And that was unsolicited, by the way. That was pretty interesting. Uh, what should you do about high transaction fees so you can self-custody and huddle like Jack says? Relax. Chill out. Do not withdraw all your buys if you're doing small buys. Let them accumulate 500 to to 1000 bucks at least and do your withdrawals at low transaction times. That's all you got to do. And this is actually a good idea because I like telling people to use... New addresses for new transactions, except it's getting very expensive to maintain many UTXOs, which is lots of addresses. And people are looking actually now to start consolidating. So if you were going to say, I'm going to make a little bit different of a rule. And for every five transactions, I'm going to create a new address to send to. Then you could you know stack as much as, let's say, a thousand bucks before you withdraw five grand on that UTXO. And then move to a new UTXO, which again is just a fancy name for address. And I, I think that's that's your best bet right now. So if you buy 50 bucks a week in Bitcoin from Coinbase, and by the time you withdraw it, you end up with $33, stop. But Jack, you said they could seize my Bitcoin. So what? They seized $50, $100, $500. And they're not going to do it like tomorrow. Like you would see things start to move in that pincher movement. Right? So... You're really worried mostly when when it comes to holding on exchange is not like the federal government decides it's taking all the bitcoin away. That's that's fantasy land nonsensical bullshit uh, that attention horse talk about. What you're worried about is, huh? K-Bonk, you've been a bad boy. We're gonna put a lock on all your assets. That's what you're actually concerned with. Or maybe figuring out what you do with your money or learning too much information about you. So if you take the approach of I'm going to buy Bitcoin, wait for a low transaction period and withdraw large chunks of it, you're fine. Again, we're stacking to become very wealthy long term. We're not worried about 500 bucks here and there. I know that sounds elitist, but I'm not saying the 500 bucks doesn't matter. 500 bucks matters to me. What I'm saying is in the context of the risk ratio, it doesn't matter. When somebody says to me, I, I just hold on Coinbase, and I'm like, well, how much, how much Bitcoin do you have? About 800 bucks worth. I'm like, eh, it'd be better, but okay. That's fine. It's not that big a deal. When I talk to somebody, they're like, I have like $200,000 sitting on Coinbase. I'm like, oh, no. So just put that into context so you don't get over. But I, I did used to say, buy 100 bucks, withdraw it. Well, it used to cost a dollar. But it doesn't anymore. So while it doesn't, we don't do that, right? We just don't do that. Um, Next up, how should you gift Bitcoin to young people at a low value of, say, 50 bucks? With lightning. With lightning, and they'll probably mess it up, but it's okay. You give a kid somewhere $50, if it was a toy, you know it's going to be thrown away not very long. Um, Every kid I know has an iPhone or a galaxy or something like that, get them set up with a lightning wallet and send them the money and show them how it works. That's it. And say, if you want to start, you want to do more with it, just keep an eye on it. You know, they're not going to probably, if they spend it, here's something you have to understand. If you give somebody something, right? I think the Bible said that the, the left hand should not know what the right hand has done. And you need to give always that way. And that was more about being charitable. But the spirit of giving is, if I give something to Hunter right here, if I give this to Hunter, it's Hunter's. It's Hunter's. And he says they have those gift cards now. I didn't think of that. That would be another way to do it. Assuming you have the stack, I would just have them install Blue Wallet or something and just send it to them. That, that's what I would do. Or get Albie. Of course, you need an invite code for that. If you want an invite code for Albie, send me an email, TSPC Aldi in the subject line. If you do that, I'm going to wait till the end of the week and I'm going to talk to the Albi people and say I need X amount of uh, invite codes. I think they're requiring invite invite code to throttle back on new customers right now. But they may not be right. They may not be. So um, if you're in that situation where you want to get Albi as a wallet, which is a browser based wallet, Go try it before you send me that email because I don't know if maybe they've they've stopped doing that. But they had done that for a while. They gave me like 20 invite codes. I think I've given them all out. Um. <laughs> that's funny, Tom. People have to watch the video if they want to see it. Uh, but but I would, you know, something like that, something that that's, it can go anywhere. Once you have a login for it, you know, you can't really get rid of something that's browser based because even if a browser banned it, you just get a different browser. But something I would I would do either gift card uh, like uh, Hunter says, or I would absolutely um, just use lightning for it. Because fifty dollar transactions now are like five dollar transactions used to be from a standpoint of the percentage that you lose to the transaction fees. And that's, the, you know, for all the people that shit all over lightning, God bless the people that built it anyway and ignored you. I mean, how many how many groups of people are there in Bitcoin that have built something? Um, Kbonk, make sure you put TSPC in the subject line on, on your little note there. But how many groups of people like Lightning Devs and Liquid Devs and, 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 and core developers and all were all told they were stupid and we owe them so much that they ignored the people that told them they were stupid and they, they followed the proverb of the person that can't do a thing should not get in the way of the person that is actively doing it? There's a lot of people to thank for that in the Bitcoin community. Uh, next was, how do you spend Bitcoin and stay compliant with the IRS and their idiotic rules? Oh, I, already, I already explained it. Don't spend the stack. Don't spend your stack. Don't spend your stack. Don't spend your stack. Once you stack Bitcoin, it goes into the never money category. Again, you know, liver transplant. I understand. Like you end up being worth a billion dollars. You want to spend some of it. Okay, I understand. But for most people, that just needs to be the mindset and then the exception. You'll make the decision when the exception comes. So never spend the stack. And if you want to spend Bitcoin, you strike. Or tell the other party, I will give you dollars. Go buy all the Bitcoin you want. Um, Jack Mahler's really got through to me on an interview. I don't remember what interview it was or when it happened. But it was Michael Saylor actually that said this. He said, no, I'm not. It was Michael Saylor. I am not going to pay my employees in Bitcoin. It's too much of an accounting nightmare. I don't want to deal with the bullshit. If my employees want Bitcoin, they're free to do whatever they want to do with the money that I pay them for the job that they do after they get the money. So they can buy Bitcoin all that they want. You can go right now to HR, go see Karen or whoever handles it in your company. If you're not big enough to have an HR Karen and say, I need a I need a direct deposit slip. And if you have a strike account or a Swan account, you can have a set amount of your pay. Your employer can't say no to this any more than they can say, we don't want, we don't want to deposit money into, you know, a Chase Bank. Right. And you can have multiple direct deposits out of your paycheck. X amount goes here, Y amount goes there. And you can literally have it go in a strike and instantly turn into Bitcoin if you want to. So there is there is no re or it can go in as dollars so you can spend it as Bitcoin or not convert it to Bitcoin until you want it. And it's actually a really cool way to do things because you can do things like this with Stripe. Just from a standpoint of those of you that want a little bit more anonymity, right? Tracing shit through lightning is very, very difficult. You'd have to target somebody intentionally to do it. You're not going to data rake it and know where everything is. So let's say you wanted to stack a thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin a month or a quarter. I don't care what the time frequency is. You could have enough direct deposit go to strike as dollars until you were ready to convert it to Bitcoin. When you're ready to convert that thousand dollars to Bitcoin, you could send that thousand dollars to a lightning wallet that you've given no KYC information to whatsoever, right? Like wallet of Satoshi. You can't use it anymore, Jack. They said, yeah, they said that's nice. They said that there are ways, but you could use something like blue wallet. You send it there. And most of those lightning wallets have, Now, make sure before you do this that you verify that it's there and what the cost will be. You could then send that lightning form Bitcoin back on chain to an address that you have with a wallet that's not KYC. Now, are you Jason Bourne? No. But have you created reasonable anonymity? Yes, you have. There is so much you can do if you want to. If you take a little bit of an extra step... And then that way again, we're minimizing the tax consequences. And I I have to say this again because people don't understand this. If you buy Bitcoin, let's say a, let's say you went out and you bought hundred thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin. I don't even care when. And at the end of that tax year, Bitcoin had gone up three X, so it was now four hundred thousand dollars. No, th- three hundred thousand dollars. I'm sorry. Duh. Pretty easy times one jack. Three hundred grand. You've made $200,000 in profit. How much do you have to pay tax on? The answer, because I'm not going to wait for it, is zero. The answer is zero. You haven't sold it. It's an unrealized gain. Until you sell it, you pay no taxes on it. So that's why I say you put it in the stack and you never sell it until there's a point where you're like, there's a reason that I would spend it or sell it. Yeah. Um, so you just don't. You don't not in sufficient. And that's the problem. That's why I say spending from the stack is bad. And in general, spending Bitcoin is bad. Now, like I said, if you throw a hundred bucks into a lightning wallet and you use it to zap people and all, there's, there's fence post money. And that's fence post money guys. That's, that's not worth worrying about just saying. Um, but if you're buying and selling things with Bitcoin, you're creating an accounting nightmare. And that's why most people don't do it. Or the people that do do it. It's, it's orange washing. I call it, so you can spend Bitcoin at Target. I don't know if you know that. It's been for years. But the second you spend it, it's in dollars in Target's account. They just report it as revenue in. That's just another revenue stream for them. Like, well, there's people that will maybe go to Target versus Walmart because we take Bitcoin. That's all. It's orange washing. So that avoids the accounting. So you're doing the same thing in reverse. And, and I think sometimes because we hate major corporations, we fail to learn from them. There's a lot of things that we can do to emulate the way major corporations operate that benefit us. Um, you know, dollar cost averaging is what Southwest Airlines does with fuel. It's one of the ways to keep a competitive advantage. They buy contracts on the fuel for a whole year when the price is low. Can that burn them? Yeah, but they've already factored in. If we spend this much on fuel, we can make this much profit. You can emulate that in your life. By doing what's called opportunity buys, not just with Bitcoin, but things like the food you put in your pantry. It's not really a hard concept to grasp. How does borrowing against Bitcoin work? Shitty. So I'm going to answer it with how it will probably work in the future. Right. So how does it work today? You pay a very high interest rate to collateralize a loan with Bitcoin that you will receive in some other form of shit coinery which could be tethered and could be converted to dollars and could then be used to do something like invest in your business or buy a house. And it is not preferential compared to getting a loan any other way. It's not great. I'll leave it at that. And you have to be very careful. So if you're sitting on like a million dollars worth of Bitcoin and you want to borrow fifty thousand dollars, There are places and times where that would make sense. And as long as you have visible to the lender the ability to cover a drop, which means you don't give them your Bitcoin, but you increase the amount, put aside in collateral until the loan's repaid, it's pretty safe. But you'd have to have a very specific reason you're doing it for me to entertain that now, long-term. Bitcoin, and the ETFs are a big part of this, Will be seen in time is the world's most pristine asset in that it is fungible into dollars anywhere in the world 247, 365, instantly. You, there isn't anything, it's a bearer asset that has no time at which it's not tradable. No time. It is always convertible to dollars or yen or euros or whatever. Okay? It also has the ability to be locked up into something called a smart contract. As a lender, I can't do better for collateral than that. Right now, somebody just said, Tommy D said, boom, can confirm better to borrow against real estate for now. Absolutely. But I, now I'm bank of Jack. I'm, not Jack. I'm not your friend. I'm not Jack the jerk. I'm bank of Jack. And Tommy comes to me and wants to borrow money. And I say, "Well, what do you want to borrow money for?" Tommy says, "I want to buy a, a buy a $200,000 house and I want the house itself to be collateral against the loan." Or I already have a $200,000 house, it's paid for. I want a c- c- cash out equity loan. Cuz I want to go do, I don't know, I want to genetically engineer hamsters to operate bitcoin miners. I don't whatever, it doesn't matter. So he wants to borrow $150,000 for his GMO hamsters, $50,000 he's going to leave an equity in his house, and I'm going to take the house in collateral. What happens when Tommy doesn't pay? How long does it take me as the bank to get my money as upgrade? I want my money and I get my money now. A long time. So I, it's going to take me 90 days to six months to get Tommy the hell out of his house. Right? Which is why it's also a better deal for Tommy right now to, to borrow against the house. Because he has six months to figure out what to do while he tells me to go screw myself. Right? Eventually the sheriff comes and throws me out of my house. Now the bank has a house. I looked at a lot of houses where this happened in two thousand eight when I was getting ready to buy a house when we moved back to Texas from uh or I'm sorry, in two thousand three, I guess it was, when we moved back to Texas from Pennsylvania, there'd been a lot of foreclosures. And I mean people literally pulled wire out like it wasn't criminals, you could tell like the person pulled copper out of their own walls. They definitely like took all the appliances and they just started treating their house like shit. And so the bank is sitting on this house that's been treated like shit. The refrigerator has gone. The stove is gone. Dishwasher has gone. Anything of any value that normally I, I even saw one where the person was like, you know what? Those cabinets are standard cabinets. They're pretty nice. And they unbolted the cabinets from the wall. And there's nothing that I can do and go, Tommy, where the hell's my cabinets, dude? I'm stuck. I got what I got. He can literally go, if the lumber he built the deck with, that was part of the equity in the house. He could unscrew all the boards that take the lumber and with lumber prices. Now he might, you know, and just leave the shit. Like he'd take all the premium lumber and just pull the screws out. And there's nothing I can do. If he let the pool go green and there's a thousand dollars worth of maintenance just to make the pool not green anymore, I have to eat it. And now I have to, once I fix it half ass enough, Find somebody to buy a house in foreclosure or put it out on the open market. I'm never getting my money back. Banks do not get their money back because they foreclose on houses. It is a stop loss in in trading is what it is. And they make their money because most people don't do this. But if I'm a banker and Tommy says, dude, I got like a million dollars worth of Bitcoin and I want to borrow $100,000 from my GMO hamster. I don't even give a shit. What Tom, Tommy wants to roll the money up, shove it up into his ass and see if he can make more money come out of his eyeballs. I don't care. You're going to do a smart contract with me that says if you don't make these payments that I get covered to these terms? Yeah. Yeah, here's a 4% loan. Here's a 5% loan. It's a way better deal for the bank than a house. And it's not really a set amount of Bitcoin in that arrangement. I'm borrowing dollars against Bitcoin collateralized. And it will be the way that really rich rich Bitcoiners fund their retirements. They will borrow money till they die. They will have a very small portion of their money owed back by the time it's all said and they get laid to rest. Their kids will pay for the funeral bill with some money and they'll decide if they want to continue to run the, the, the gamble. But if they have a long way to go before they retire, they'll probably sell enough to pay off the balance and hold the rest of the stack. And no one will pay any tax because for all the bullshit about we need to repeal the inheritance tax. Unless you're talking tens of millions of dollars, there isn't one. That's also thanks to Trump. Some people get mad when I say anything nice about Trump. but It's the truth. Uh The inheritance tax went from like eight million dollar. um Whatever, whatever you call it, the furrows in my head. Now. Exemption. Eight, the first eight million are not 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 taxed. So it's like twenty million dollars per individual right now. So if you had five kids and left them ninety million dollars, there would be no money. And on the borrowed money, there's no taxes, there's no income. It, rich people have done this forever with real estate. Bitcoin is a better asset to do it with long term. So it will happen. It will happen. And again, if I am a banker, I want to loan money against appreciating assets when I'm doing good interest, like good interest rates for the borrower. That's why your credit card interest rates like twenty four percent right now, because Even though they made a Friends episode about it, the credit card people are not going to come to your house and repossess a ceramic dog or a water fountain from Joey's apartment. That's not going to happen. That's not how credit cards work. It's unsecured debt. You owe the money, but they have to get it from you. They can't come take your stuff to get it. If you declare bankruptcy, then your assets become subject to that to some degree. But, yeah, that's how it's going to work in the future. And and the reason I can say that, Is it because I'm a genius? It's because it's self-evident. Just put, again, stop thinking like a Bitcoiner or a Prepper or a Permaculturist for a minute. you got to, to understand markets, you have to think about the the way the majority of people in markets think, how the market makers think. So if you want to understand loans, you have to think about how the lender thinks. Do I want collateral of a house that can literally smell like cat piss when I get it back? Or pristine capital, it's immediately liquid that I can have my, my loan covered once in default in whatever the smart contract says. Whatever the grace, if it's 24 hours, if it's 72 hours, if it's two weeks, whatever that number is, the computer goes, Oh, failure to meet obligation, ka-ching, and it's done. What would you want? I mean, I'll put it to you this way. Your nephew, now let's think like you. Your nephew comes to you. Uncle Tommy, Uncle Kelly, Uncle Jeff, right? They're just the people that are here right now. It might be Aunt Kelly. If I misgendered you, I'm sorry. I can't tell from your picture if you're a, a Chick Kelly or a Dude Kelly. There's both kinds. Um, so your nephew comes to you and goes, Uncle Jeff, Aunt Kelly. It's Aunt Kelly, right? Uncle Tommy, I want to borrow $50,000. You say, well, Junior, that's a lot of freaking money there. What are you going to do with it? I'm going to open up a business, body shop. I need it for my initial tools. I've already got a location picked out. And the kid actually is pretty good at body work. But you know that businesses have a pretty bad track record of failing. And you want to help them. And you say, well, did you go to the bank? Because that's the first thing I'd say. Junior, did you go to the bank? Yeah, I went to the bank and they told me no. And I offered to put up collateral. Junior, you have collateral? Yep. Yeah. You know, uh, Uncle Tommy, Aunt Kelly, I uh, I got involved in this Bitcoin thing about 10 years ago and I've got half a million dollars. I don't want to spend it. I will set up a smart contract with you that if I miss a payment, it's covered by the smart contract. And if I miss three payments, the entire loan is immediately paid in full. Would you give junior the money? I would. If I had the money, if I had the liquid 50 grand available and somebody came to me with that story and like, here's the address. We're going to set it up. It's all there. As soon as we plunk, here's your money. Why wouldn't I? My 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 loan is going to help this other party, which, believe it or not, financial institutions want to do. It's going to help the other party. It's going to make me a profit, and my risk is 100% covered. If you would do it, freaking Bank of America will do it. I guess they're out of business now, aren't they? Whoever's still in business, Wells Fargo would do it. Now, they won't do it the way you would with when you're stupid and you feel bad for Junior and you want to help. They won't do it that way. But if Junior was like this distant nephew of yours and you didn't know him really well, and he didn't have any collateral, you tell him, Junior, I really hope you succeed. Right? I really hope you succeed. But I can't help you with this. I, you're going to have to come up with something that protects my investment, but if he's got that and so will a bank, we're just not there yet. But now that we're normalizing the asset, they might even say you have to put it in an ETF and tie that to a smart contract which some of these ETFs might actually build tools to do. It doesn't matter. You still haven't spent the money. You still don't have any income and everybody's in better shape. The lender has less risk and less risk equals what? Lower lending rates. And you haven't dissolved your stack. that's what's coming All right. again, because it will. Um, is there any anonymity in Bitcoin? and why is it good that transactions are public where it's not like a Monero or something like that? Okay, here's the first thing I'm going to tell you. if Bitcoin had gone the route of Monero or pirate chain, or something like that, and been a privacy coin from the get-go, there would not be a Bitcoin ETF today. And if there was, you probably wouldn't want to invest in it, because you would have no transparency to see if Wells Fargo really was holding the asset. That's just the front end of it. If we're going to have an asset that's going to act as a global reserve currency, and I think Bitcoin eventually will, it should be auditable. It it, It may not be something that needs to be public with who owns what, but overall it should have a transparent blockchain and every transaction should be auditable or it's not worthy of being a global reserve currency. And I don't mean because the WEF says that's what it is. I mean, because people adopt it. So that's why it's a good thing. Is there any anonymity in it? Again, you're not Jason Bourne. Even if you do everything right, if you are targeted, they can probably figure out what you're doing with Monero or, or, Uh, Zcash using privacy functions or any of these mixing technologies or something like that. However, again, there's a difference between us targeting two steps off grid and just data raking everything. So, yes, any Bitcoin address is visible. All the transactions in and out are visible and the balance on it is visible. Yeah. But who owns it? unless you're tied to it in some way. So when you go to Coinbase or whatever and you KYC and you buy Bitcoin and you withdraw to that address, a cursory look of data would identify you as the holder. Should the government obtain the information from the brokerage, which they can do with a letter, which they can do with a letter, especially a letter that says we want Tommy D's thing here is a letter, this is signed off by a judge. Coinbase will go, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, here you go. And they will give them information. And they'll be able to see every place you've withdrawn Bitcoin to. Absolutely. No problem whatsoever. If I sell a product to Tommy, I don't care where he got that Bitcoin, unless he tells them he spent that particular 50 bucks with me, There's really not a way to tie me to it unless another transaction came into it. This is why I like many UTXOs, right, to create some anonymity. But the reality is I'm worried less and less about it over time. I don't care if the government knows I have money. I care that they can get it. And the beauty of not your keys, not your coins is they don't have the keys. So it's not their coins. So they can send letters of demand. They can do whatever they want to me, but they can't get my money. You put a gun in my mouth. And if I don't give you, if I say shoot me, you shoot me, you still don't get it. It's defensible. It's infinitely defensible. And since in the future, I may actually want to take the borrow until I retire approach in my golden years and never pay taxes and live really good. Then I'm good to go. I'm good to go with that. So there's a lot that we can do here with anonymity if we want to, but the most anonymity right now is moving money on lightning because you can set up a lightning wallet in seconds. You give no information to the wallet provider whatsoever, but you could get rubbed. They could steal your money. Yeah. That's why you don't put thousands and thousands of dollars in it. It's spending money. It's your checking account. It's it's not even your checking account. It's like a second checking account. So like if you are not good at disciplining yourself for spending, right, what you could do right now that would be a really good way to force discipline on yourself most bank accounts, if you have online banking, you just say add an account and open a new account. Once you open one account, to the they'll let you open a 1,000 accounts if you want to. And then you would open a checking account. You would request a debit card from that checking account. And you would say, I get $300 of piss away money every month. And you would say, once a month, I'm going to go into my bank and I'm going to rebalance my funds. And I'm going to put $300 of piss away money into this account on this card. And then when you were out, like you don't want to do no checks, right? But nobody uses checks. When you're out and about, you're like, this is piss away money. I, I got some money left in there and you go to spend it. And if you went over, it would just go card decline. And you'd be like, Oh shit, I'm out of piss away money this month. That's the kind of money you put on lightning guys. I'm just, just saying that's, that's the kind of money you put on lightning. I'm trying to read you guys on the side over here that are actually communicating directly with me, some, but I can only read so fast. If you really want to tell me something, email's the best way to do it. I read all my emails. Sometimes fast, but I read them all. See you there, flingshot shot life. Anyway, um what do you do if your stack hits one million US dollars in a cycle? I wouldn't do anything differently. I really wouldn't. But this is the case for ETFs as well. I know full well how this cycle is going to go. I don't know the top and I know the bottom. I know that we'll have a very clear indication that we've hit an all-time high, declined, and rebounded. And on the other side, we're looking at 60 to 80% down. How do I know that? Math and history. Okay, two subjects that we don't teach, and so we can teach transgenderism and wokeism in school now, right? Math and history. That's just how the cycle runs. Again, it may be mitigated, and I've known that for a long time. I've been through it a couple times now. When it happened last time, I knew it. When we were sitting at like sixty-nine grand, and like I'm like, we can hit a hundred thousand in this cycle. I really thought we were gonna. And when it started to fall apart, I'm like, it's not gonna happen. And then I called the bottom at like 14.4, and I think it ended up being like 15.1 or 14.9. I was very close, and I called it six months before it happened. Why? History and math. Why didn't Jack, therefore, sell all his Bitcoin, wait for the bottom, and buy it back? Two reasons. Taxes, and I could have been wrong. I didn't say it was guaranteed. I said I knew it. I didn't say I could guarantee it. Those are different. But if I have two different buckets of Bitcoin, and I have couple hundred thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin sitting in an IRA and we've crested that all time high. And that cycle has kind of gone and it looks like we're heading into decline. And inside that IRA, I don't have to pay any taxes at all. That's my trading Bitcoin. Now I've now segregated funds into different classes of funds, even in the same asset, which most good investors and long-term wealth builders do. You have different functions for different reasons, you know, um, Next, on that, why don't you use a dedicated Roth IRA that just allows Bitcoin? We've had those for years. I get that question all the time. You've had people on talking about it and all. Why would you buy an ETF when you could just set up a Roth IRA and do it? Okay. So now I have to sell all my assets or the portion of assets I want to move in one of my IRAs, open a new IRA, transfer cash, and buy back in. And then I'm going to pay a higher fee in most of these dedicated Bitcoin IRAs, which I don't think is going to be the case much longer because now the ETFs, I think a lot of them are going to go out of business, honestly, that are in that business. Inside there, I have multiple options. And unless I have a very large amount of Bitcoin inside that IRA, the management fee is kind of repulsive if I want to hold my own keys. And then I have to make sure I do everything right as far as crossing my T's and dotting my I's for the government unless I have the managed plan where I don't hold my own keys. Or I can just take my IRA and buy, you know, Bitco or HODL or whatever. That's why. It's not that the other way is bad. It's just there's more issues with it. And what did I gain? If I go the route where I hold my own keys and I have to pay the company more money for the privilege of doing it, I become responsible for everything that goes to the government as far as it being right. Versus if I let them do it, they bear that responsibility. But either way, I've just said to the government, hey, government, I have all this money in this form right here. Sure, it's tax-deferred or tax-exempt, depending on whether it's conventional or Roth. But I've now made money that really isn't public very public. Same reason that I've always said, physical silver IRAs are stupid. I mean, if you think about it, there's nothing I'm advising you to do today, right? And Jesse's saying Unchained has a partner that handles IRS paperwork just like any other IRA, and it will cost you more to do it. And you will not hold your own keys if you do it that way. Now, the beauty of holding your own keys is, let's say you had to flee the country, you could steal your own Bitcoin out of your own account, right? But that's, that's not the kind of mindset that we teach here, right? So it's, it's just easier, but I don't think that it makes sense to put physical silver or gold in an ETF. Why? I mean, I'm sorry, in an IRA. Why? Because I just made the money public. The silver I have in a box somewhere is between me and the fence post of my wife. But the silver that I have in an IRA is advertised to the government that I have it, right? Right. It's advertised to the government that I have it. What's the point anymore? Why not just hold SLV or GLD? So it's the same advice I've been given for years. There's different things have different purposes. Um, Why? This is my last one. This really isn't a question. This is more something I want to make as a point to you guys that I don't know many other people that are expressing it this way. The graph you're seeing on the screen is one that you're probably very familiar with if you're on the video. The purchasing purchasing power of the United States dollar beginning in 1900 and declining nonstop, a little bit of an increase during the Great Depression where we had deflation. But if you'll notice from the point in the 1930s and you see the highest purchasing power of the U.S. dollar is right about 1933 when we went off the gold standard for the first time, and they revalued gold, and then in 1971, we completely decoupled. From that point forward, the value of the dollar never goes up again. It goes down all the way until present day. There's a little dip there right at the end of World War II where it kind of like tinkles across. I'm going to call that horizontal. Tiny bit up, doesn't really count. It pretty much from 1933 till today, went nothing but that. It has to. It has to. And there's something that's unsaid about this. And here's what I wrote when I shared this on Noster. Eternal inflation is all that can be expected from the U.S. dollar, not just because it is the plan, but because it's the only possible plan. Because if you have a fiat system and are the world's reserve currency, You have to operate as a net importer of goods and a net exporter of capital. That's something you're going to have to put in your little bean and let it bounce around for a little while to fully take in the implications of. The dollar as the world reserve currency gives us certain inherent advantages in world politics. There's no doubt about that. The fact that we can print money at will lets us do things that we otherwise would not be able to do. Including Start Lots of Wars. So it's not all good things, but it gives us some advantages. If nothing else, superhero comics and movies should have taught you something. No matter how powerful something looks, there's a trade off, there's someone else who is the counterbalance. And so when you take on the World Reserve currency status, especially with fiat money, You have to print money so you can continue to export money because other people need your money because you're the world reserve currency. If you were on a hard money standard, well, the problem with that is if you go play with half fiat, the rest of the world starts to take your paper, bring it back to you and go, where's the gold? Which is what France did to the United States in the 60s and 70s, which is why Nixon actually took us off the reserve of the gold standard because we were not meeting our reserve requirements and France was bankrupting the United States. If you were on a full hard money with no printing, then you could be a net importer of goods and services and your reserve would continue to grow and your money would become more powerful and less of it would buy more, the exact opposite of what we have. If that's the case, because that that probably made more sense than when I explained the way it is now. If I'm the world reserve currency and I use fiat, I have to export money and import goods and services on a net. doesn't mean I don't export any goods or exportation. We certainly have an export economy in the United States, but we are a net importer of product and we have been forever. From a standpoint of the life of anybody alive right now, you don't remember the United States being a net exporter. If you, unless you're retired and really, really old and still have your faculties, you don't remember anything like that. Now, there are certain things we've been net exporters of as individual commodities, like food, though we've vacillated back and forth in that in the past 20 years. But total exports from the United States have always been smaller in your life than imports, and net cash outflows have been normal because. We're the global currency. Now, just again, think about it differently. You're the world's reserve currency. It's backed 100% by gold, and you're a net exporter of product. Your stack of gold goes up, and there's no shortage because it takes less gold to buy the same thing around the world. If that's the case – that see, that makes sense, doesn't it? Doesn't that – like, okay, yeah, that – okay, if that tracks, then if you do the exact opposite – then doesn't it just reverse the flow? It reverses the streams, right? Don't cross them, but reverse them. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So that's, that's why you need to be involved with Bitcoin because that's, there is no top to Bitcoin. How high can it go? It can go up forever unless you believe, unless you believe in your heart of hearts that the United States will see the error of its ways and go back to a hard money standard anytime soon, then Bitcoin has no top because the value of the dollar has no bottom. And if you say the dollar has a bottom, I want to bring this back up on the screen for you again. When did it, When's it going to hit the bottom? We start out with $100 in purchasing power, and three years ago, and six cents went from a hundred to $3 and six cents went from a hundred to $3 and six cents four years ago. Anybody notice what happened to prices in the last four years? I don't even know what the number is today. Does it really matter if there is no slowing down there? And if you notice the, the steepness of the line from 1980 forward, is less steep than the steepness of the line from about 1940 to 1990 or 1980. The only reason that's happening is because half of half of half of half of half gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. If you're standing 12 feet from a wall and you take 50% of the step forward, you're six foot, then you're three foot, right? Then you're one and a half feet but it takes you you'll never touch the wall if you only go halfway until you get so close it doesn't really matter anymore there's your dollar there's your plan you're not too late you're not too late it's up to you but here is what will change the price of bitcoin for you everybody gets bitcoin at the price they deserve and i would say 2008 to 2012, not necessarily true. It was really a fringe asset. By 2013, it was really showing what it was. That's what it took to get me on board. Maybe I deserved the price in 20, 20, 2013. And I only bought as much as I wish I would have bought more. And I wish I would have never spent any. And every time I spent it, my price to replace it went up over time. I got the price I deserved. You got the price you deserved. If you haven't bought any yet, if you haven't bought any yet and dark horse, stop watching cartoons like South park for financial advice with the gold. All right. That's a, that's a South park episode. Literally. Um, You got the price you deserve or you will get the price you deserve. Two years ago, I did an episode of the show. I looked it up and now I can't remember exactly what it was called. I'll add it to the show notes. And I said, it, it was something like, Stacking sats will never be this easy again. If you go to the Survival Podcast or Bitcoin Breakout, stacking sats easy. Search for that in a search box. You'll find the episode. And I said, this is the bottom. you can look look to the notes and see that. This is the accumulation trough. Buy now, buy, 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 buy. Most of you listening to this today, not all of you, most of you heard that. You didn't buy, you get the price you deserve. You could have bought it at 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. 20. All those numbers sound good to you right now. All those numbers sound good to you right now. Here you sit at like 42 or whatever it is today. I have Bitcoin I paid more than that for. I do not regret it. But I also have Bitcoin I paid 100 bucks for. It's up to you. It's the price you deserve. Anyway, let me go ahead and I'm going to blow through like eight questions here really, really fast. Like, C, I'm an optometrist. I want to accept Bitcoin or any crypto for exams. Almost nobody in my market knows about Bitcoin. Is there an easy way to onboard a patient? No. No, your job is to be an optometrist. Be an optometrist. Ask them if they say no. Say, you should check into it. Here's your bill. If you want Bitcoin, then go ahead and buy Bitcoin. Or say, we do a 5% discount for people that pay in Bitcoin. Put it right in your window with a sign. And maybe some people will come in that are already onboarded, or maybe some people will ask you. If I go to my optometrist and I don't want to spend Bitcoin, I don't want to hear about it from them. I want them to do the job of an optometrist. I'm not saying you shouldn't ask, but I'm saying once you ask and they say no, they said no. Don't worry. They're going to onboard the shit out of themselves going forward because it's going to keep getting put in front of them now. Uh, any cold wallet recommendations? I like Trezor, Model T. That's what I've said over and over and over and over and over again. I have an article at bitcoinbreakout.com. I'm going to pull it up right now so you can see it. Give me a second here. Self-custody. I give exactly how to self-custody. And that's this article right here, the very basics of Bitcoin self-custody. You can read this article explains the difference between using a software wallet, a hardware wallet, et cetera, and tells you exactly how to do it. It gives you all types of resources. The other thing you can do is you go to the Bitcoin breakout, this tab right here, Bitcoin tools. Nothing here that I am paid to recommend doesn't have a disclaimer. And I give all the different tools that I use in Bitcoin. And I probably need to update this because I know about things now that I didn't know then. Uh, you'll notice that ledger is now off the list. I don't know much about cold card, but plenty of people, um, and that's why it's not on my list. I don't put anything on the list I don't use, right? But all my tools are right there. Bitcoin, the BitcoinBreakout.com/tools. Um, I only recommend things that I've actually used, so that's why I don't have some of the things that I I think would be, you know, good tools, but I haven't used them. I also try to recommend things that have good customer support because I am not your customer support representative. And if you, for instance, if you're using a software wallet and you're using Exodus and you have a problem with your Exodus wallet, I'm going to tell you contact Exodus. Why do I recommend Exodus over like Coinami? Because Exodus has real people that will help you. That's why. And I don't have to then. Yeah. Builder of Castle says question, comment trading Bitcoin for house. Both are commodity by the uh, internal revol- infernal revolting syndicate. Should be doable. Some lawyers say they would like to fight this one, but who will be first? I don't know, but it doesn't work right now. There is what's known as a like kind exchange where no real value has been. There's no profit because the two things exchanged were equal in value. But that's not how the IRS really sees barter. The IRS sees barter in a horrible way. If I give you potatoes for a haircut, we're both supposed to report it as income. No one does it, but that's what the code says. I wouldn't I wouldn't get on board with that happening anytime soon. Arizona Renaissance, man, are there any sort of patterns to the transaction fees being lower or just kind of random fluctuations? There's a lot of bullshit with this freaking ordinals and crap going on right now, filling up the blocks. But I have found usually like Sunday morning to be about the lowest cost of getting money off exchanges. Not always, but often. Just that's what I've noticed. Anybody else? What we really need is like, Exchanges need to use Lightning. Exchanges need to use Lightning. Because then I can run a Lightning node. I can keep as much money as I want in Lightning form. I have to balance my own node and everything, but I can do that. And I can wait until the cost of moving on-chain is cheap. And I can do it whenever I want that way. And I I already have another level of control. Um, Some of the exchanges are starting to use Lightning. Honestly, unless you're really buying a lot, it's hard to go wrong with strike it really is and if you're doing large purchases the company that i trust the most and the fact that they're going to go public makes me trust them more because there is an awful lot of reporting requirements there's an awful lot of discipline required by a company to be a public company is swan they're on my tools page i recommend them highly i am an affiliate i would appreciate you using my link if you do uh that that's large purchases swan small purchases strike as long as you can get approved for both of them and set up your transfers and everything. Kay Bonk says questioning cap Oh, I don't think he did it either. So I don't think I found it. He was just advising somebody else to use question in all caps. Uh, Do you think the government will ever trade fiat for Bitcoin dollar 2.0? Um, I don't know. I know that once any central bank puts Bitcoin on the balance sheet, all the central banks will put Bitcoin on a balance sheet. Now, if it's like, it's North Korea or something, no. But if like a G, if one G20 nation puts Bitcoin on their balance sheet for their for their reserve bank, everybody will do it. And I think that's what you mean. Now, you, do you know you can already pay your taxes? You can pay income tax on Bitcoin. You can make contributions to politicians in Bitcoin if you want to. There's ways to do that. That's been around a long time. I don't think anybody does it. Uh, it just is what it is. Dark Horse Productions trying to be Involved in the discussion, even though he doesn't want to be in the discussion. Right or wrong. Silver equals hedge against inflation of USD. It has intrinsic value in the marketplace. Bitcoin equals liquidity currency. No. No. Silver has been an absolute horrible hedge against inflation for the last 30 years. It's definitely been a horrible hedge against inflation for the last 10. Sorry. It's not been a good hedge against inflation measured across a decade. Bitcoin has been a great hedge against inflation across a decade. You are hung up on the concept of a tangible thing you can hold in your hand, and I guarantee you you are not paid in that. Your boss doesn't pay you your weekly paycheck in bills. And even if you held those bills, they're just representations of something on a computer somewhere else. I don't know. I think you've listened to too much Peter Schiff or something like that. I don't know. I don't know. I really don't know why you're so hung up on this. But this idea that something has value only because you can put it in your hands. The ability to transact with somebody in seconds around the world. And the ability to maintain value with no cost. Because there's zero cost in holding Bitcoin. There's no there's no rental fee. There's no maintenance fee. There's no nothing. So until you get past that, and I can't do it for you, you won't grok this. And again, silver has been a bad hedge against inflation over the last 10 years. I think it is a good hedge against financial collapse. Now, we've had empire collapse and we've had societal collapse already. We have not had financial collapse. So the complete and total devaluation of the dollar. Great. Great. And that could change. Why? That's why I stack silver. But which is the superior hedge? It's the one that's performed better? And you tell me. And I'm not going to. Here's here's one place that I don't. I disagree with Michael Saylor when he talks about the ROI on Bitcoin. He goes back to the Genesis block when Bitcoin was a penny or less, and in and talking about ROI. I want to say you look at the ROI of Bitcoin over the last 10 years. 2014 to today, nothing else stands up to it. Therefore, nothing is a better inflation hedge across a decade based on historical performance. That's it. That's it. It doesn't have anything to do with tradability or liquid. It has nothing to do with that. Your silver is incredibly liquid. You can go waddle your ass down to a pawn shop, lay it on the counter. They'll look at it, verify it's real, and give you money now. Right now, it's there is no trouble converting silver to dollars, and if somebody's willing to take silver, there's nothing that prevents you from giving them silver, and they're giving you a thing. I've done it plenty of times. It just isn't a good hedge based on current performance. Period. Period. Sorry, because it hasn't held. Va- Honestly, silver in the last ten years hasn't held value against the dollar. If you factor in inflation and look at what it's done for you, it's basically kind of held up. Again, I stack it because I don't believe in putting all in on anything and anything could happen. And you know, I, I recommend about 5% of your net wealth in silver and or gold. That's a pretty small portion in reality compared to the other 95% of your wealth. But I find this, and I don't mean to pick on you. I can tell you're a young guy. But the people that I find that worry the most about things like 5% of their net wealth, 5% of their net wealth is like 500 hundred And that person would say, but that's why I'm worried. But that's why you're going to stay worried and not have money. When you're in that position, it's easy to start the habit that leads you to wealth by the time you're in your 40s and 50s. And it's easier not to. It's easier to come up with a thousand excuses, and then you say you're stacking silver, and that means you buy an ounce of silver a month. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's your entire wealth plan. And, je- and again, I don't know you. I don't name me a dick. I'm sorry, but that's just how I feel that you are based on your comments. And I have a damn good track record of, you know, pigeonholing that, and we got to stop. I said I wasn't going to get sidelined, and that's why I friggin' blocked you for five-minute timeouts three times during this because you are a distraction. You're a distraction, and you take me away from everybody else. But that was a reasonable question, so I gave you an answer. And if you hadn't been a pain in the ass for, like, the last three episodes about Bitcoin, I wouldn't have given you a, a, a hard time while you got the answer because it was a totally fair question, man. All right, so let's go ahead and wrap up. Let me remind you guys, if you like the show and the work that we do, I do have something you can exchange value for. How about knowledge? priceless knowledge. If you have not yet signed up for and taken our bioreactor compost course, you really should. I know this is a Bitcoin centric episode. I get people on these episodes that don't come to my other ones. Maybe you don't know about all the permaculture I teach and gardening and all, but I find there is a, and this is why I started Bitcoin breakout anyway as part of TSP. There's a huge overlap between homesteading permaculture, growing your own food and the Bitcoin community. This picture on your screen right here, Our two plants, the one on the right was stuck into a very high quality potting soil made by a company called Fox Farms. The one on the left into my compost, they were stuck in there on the same day. So they're rooted cuttings. Look at the difference. That's all I should have to say. I will teach you how to do this and how to transform your property for 40 bucks. And uh, we're not taking Bitcoin. Is that crazy? It's it's not really crazy. Um, we will eventually take Bitcoin like I do for other things with a manual process, but we're still working out all the technological kinks on this LearnDash platform that we built a course on. We're giving 100% of our attention to the technical side into getting everything perfect. So hopefully by the time the next course comes out, which is going to be free, and I'm about halfway through it right now, um, we'll be past that. So it's just it's on the punch list, but it's lower down. Next up today, though, our item of the day this is cheap. It's a six piece set of EMT shears. Uh, they come out to $1.90 a pair. I actually recommend a higher quality pair of these for your first aid kit. I use these for things in the kitchen, things in the garden. I have a whole write up on them. The big thing is they're made out of stainless steel and plastic, and it's colorful plastic. I leave one of these hanging like next to all of my every garden area. I have like little toolkit sets out there, like a a trowel and stuff. And I use them for pruning and cutting back weeds and all kinds of stuff like that. And they're just fantastic for it. And I use the ones with the pretty colors out there. So when I set them down, I can eventually find them. They don't rust. And if I lose a pair, it doesn't matter because I'm out two bucks. And I recommend all kinds of cool things at tspaz.com, including things that are a lot more expensive and a lot more valuable and a lot more long-term. The big thing is, I always make my purchasing decisions. And this is, I think, what makes me a good Bitcoiner. I make my purchasing decisions on price to value ratios. So it's not I'm going to buy the cheapest or the most expensive. I want to buy the thing that gives me the most value based on why I bought the thing for what I'm buying. So sometimes a cheap product is a good product, and sometimes a expensive product is a good product. Garden hose is an example. I have a garden hose I recommend on T-SPATs. It's fantastic. Best garden hose I've ever found. Love it. Won't buy anything else. Costs like two and a half times as much as a cheap hose. But a garden hose is a multi, you know, a decade long at least investment if you buy a good one. I've even had like my wife run over the end of it with a lawnmower to cut the end off, put a new end on. It's the hose you're paying for. And I'm going to buy the best garden hose I can find for the money because it's a long-term asset a pair of scissors that I'm going to lose in the garden center or later, or somebody's going to borrow it and not give it back or whatever's going to disappear. I'm going to buy cheap. And there's a place for both. You just have to think about what you're doing as you design your life. As far as link to the compost it's in the video notes below source, it's not on, on uh, where you're at Hunter. It's just go to homefoodsystems.com and you'll be able to find it. Homefoodsystems.com uh, with that. I want to uh, let you guys know we will be here tomorrow with another episode. It will not be about Bitcoin. I promise you that. We will not really talk about Bitcoin for the rest of the week. Oh, wait, we will. Wednesday's guest, it will be about Bitcoin. Who are they? GetAlbi.com. The folks from GetAlbie will be on the show Wednesday. I believe that's who I have booked. I just saw the thing come in from my wife on the booking, and I think it's from GetAlbie. So we're going to have the Albi people on. And we'll be able to talk more about what they're doing and why they've throttled back taking new customers and how they are empowering this entire value for value sector of the Web, how it relates to Noster and all kinds of other good stuff. So two Bitcoin shows this week. I didn't really plan it that way. I probably would have pushed this show out a week if I had realized that was going to happen. Anyway, with that, I will catch you guys tomorrow. And that will not be a Bitcoin breakout episode. Take care, guys. Are they gonna bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have.